stand in honor of God's word. We're going to look at uh, Titus chapter 1 this morning. Uh, as we continue our study in Titus chapter 1, and I'd like to read to you uh, the first nine verses. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete so that you may put in order what remained, what remained in order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. God, we ask your blessing on our time. I ask that you would help us to honor you in this time, that we would listen closely, that we would uh, desire to have our hearts moldable before you, that you would change us through this time and that we would be more thrilled with the gospel as we consider its impact on our home, on our marriage, on our children. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, um, really, this is the church, and the reality is uh, most every church is kind of like this. Uh, When we come together, we are diverse people. Uh, Some of you are like fine wine. You're just getting better with age. Others of you are barely ready to shave. Uh, Some of you have kids. Some of you are without. Some of you are empty nesters, and you like it. Others of you are almost ready to be empty nesters. Some of you have lived in Tehachapi your whole life and have never gotten out. And some of you are from Texas or Minnesota or Bakersfield or South Africa. How weird is that? That he gathers people diverse as we are. He places us together and then he calls us to be family. And he calls us to be family. What happens when you take diverse people and you call them to be family? Chaos is what happens. It's real simple. Why, right? We've been raised with different values. We've been raised in different locations. We have different experiences. We have different educations. And you bring us all together and you say, work as this united group of people to honor me in a specific place, most of which you didn't grow up in this place. He calls us 
to be family in the midst of a chaotic uh, world and our backgrounds add to the chaos of all that. As you look at the book of Titus, that uh, similar, they had a diverse church there. And they were bringing together what it was to be like a local church. And as Paul was charging Titus, he said, put things in order, put things in order, appoint elders, appoint elders. This morning, we're going to continue to uh, unpack what it means to be an elder and really appointed as an elder, identified as an elder. This was his task. This was Titus' job to do so. A few things I'd like to talk about uh, and cause us all to remember before we get rolling in verse 6 this morning. If you see on the front of your bulletin, uh, my title is something about a blood test, right? A blood test. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you have ever studied for a blood test? (laughs) Studied for a blood test. Uh, I don't know if you're like me. I had to take a a physical for a a life insurance policy, and I I knew that I'd been eating kind of bad, and I go, okay, oatmeal and spinach, oatmeal and spinach. That's all I'm going to eat, oatmeal, spinach, and water. And I think I did that for like a week and a half. I was real happy when I got done with that physical. But we sometimes think like that. We think that we can somehow, uh, if you're going in for some tests, that we can somehow uh, fix the test so that we would pass it. It's like studying hard or something like that. But the reality is uh, the blood kind of tells what's been going on for a very long time, right? Over the course of your last year or so, your blood tells what's going on. It really just tells it, too. As much as you'd like to deny it, it tells the truth. And this morning, as we look uh, into some areas in in our lives, it's going to be like a blood test. It's not something where you can fix the results or somehow put on a better face and fool someone. But this is the stuff that will really tell what's going on in our heart. Not to make it uh, too cheesy and try to connect too many things, but when I talk about blood, I can't help but think of the blood of Jesus and how that connects with the change that goes on in our heart. And so this morning, as you think about what we're talking about, it's the change of the gospel that's happened in your heart and what that produces because of what Christ has done in you. Okay? So first of all, it's a blood test. And the second thing I want to tell you and just remind you of and encourage you about is let the Bible speak for itself. Let the Bible say what the Bible says. And in so doing, let God say what he wants to say. I think sometimes we get this weird sense of enlightenment that we've kind of gone past what the scripture says. That we somehow, you know, we've got different ideas. And in a church like ours, sometimes with our backgrounds and our experience and our knowledge of leadership, when we come to a topic like this, we argue in our heart or we sit back and we say, well, this whole elder thing, I'm going to check out, see what God's word says, and then I'll decide if it's right or not. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, The point of the book of Titus is... uh, Paul was sent 
by Christ. He was sent by Christ. He was an apostle. Christ paid for the church. The Father sent the Son to purchase the church at the cost of His Son. Sent Paul, sent Paul, told Titus, appoint, and this is what I want for my church. And so us being God's possession, we should allow God to speak for Himself when it comes to leadership in His church. Well, let's get to the identifications of what it is to be an elder. I want to encourage you once again that these, I I don't like the word qualifications. I don't like the word qualifications for elder. I like the word identifications. Identifications. Simply because that's what Titus was doing, right? He wasn't doing interviews and qualifying and see if you pass this test or that test. But he was going into local churches and he was identifying them, but he was identifying them with the list that Paul had given him that we're going to begin to go through this morning. Last week we looked at the first word in verse 6. He says, if anyone is above reproach, above reproach. And if you recall, I talked about that as being kind of an umbrella term that was going to uh, kind of cover all the rest of them. It's going to be repeated actually in verse 7. But the, the picture being that of blamelessness or not being able to be accused without le- legitimacy. Like people can accuse you all the time, but because of your character, it would repel and nothing would stick to you. So as we look at a man's life, you ask the question of the totality of a man's life, does their character verify that they're godly? Does their character, what is about them, does it verify the fact that they have called themselves to be godly? You see, our character is either going to verify or it's going to deny the claims of our mouth. This morning, we're going to move on and talk about two areas um, that are extremely personal, extremely personal. The first one being that of the marriage relationship. Verse 6 says this, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. When you hear the husband of one wife, I, I uh, kind of smirk to myself. Because I could picture at Bear Valley Church this morning, picture this with me. If a man shows up and he's got... Um, his 24-passenger van uh, bus out, parks it out in the parking lot, puts it in park, and he hops off and out follows him four wives. And then uh, a truckload of kids. They just start coming out and coming out. And they they cruise into church here, and they pick the fourth row because no one's sitting in the fourth row. What's wrong with the fourth row? That's what I'm wondering. I was going to tease some boys because they wouldn't sit with their mother. She was sitting all alone for a while, but I'll leave those boys alone. But they pull into the fourth row. A man, and he's got two wives on either side and a slug of kids. And he says, and what if that man was an elder in our church? In our culture, that, that would be weird, wouldn't it? To say the least, that's the, you know, we could say other words, right? Illegal would be one. Uh, but, but we look at that and we say, you know, I, I, you know, I only got one wife, so I'm good. <laughs> you know, that's the one qualification or identification I can handle. I only have one wife. 
the, the idea there is not just simply that you don't have other wives. It, it's the idea of being a one-woman man. One-woman man. Which crops up in our minds, maybe for some of us, uh, and there's, we struggle with passages like this. The engineer in all of us comes out and goes, well, but what about this? What about this? And I've got to align these things all up, and I'm going to get the answer, the definitive answer in the end. Uh, it will be this. And, and I want to tell you that you have to ask the question, what is the point of the passage? Uh, really, this passage, the, these words mean one woman man. What does that mean? It means that you shouldn't have more than one wife at a time. Okay? That's very important, men. If you get nothing else, get that, okay? Um, some of you are saying, man, that would be complicated. For a number of reasons, right? A number of reasons that would be complicated. What happens if someone's divorced? What happens if their wife dies? What, what happens to all that? Uh, I, I think... As with the next one we we're going to look at, you need to take a step back and ask the question, what is the point of being a one-woman man? We're trying to identify who would be a good shepherd for God's church. And so as we look at this, this picture is one at a time. It's not that they would go through wives over and over again. In our culture today, we may not have one where you can have four wives and other than being on a reality TV show, um, you can do things like that and there can be freak shows about it. But the idea of, of looking at your relationship with your wife as something that is just for you. That someone is, is going through and they're saying, you know what, I had this one wife and I didn't like her, so I got rid of her, so I got another one. And, and she was fine for a while, but you know, she, she nagged at me too much, got rid of her. And, and then you just keep going through them until you, you know, until, because it's just for me. It's just for me. And I want to ask you a question. Does that sound like a godly man, someone who would do that? who would just say, yeah, you know, I just got tired of her, I got rid of her. Does that sound like a godly man? In fact, as you look at Ephesians chapter 5, there's a picture there of men, how they are to act, and it is taking on the picture of Jesus' love for his church. If, if Jesus, he is the one who stands in the role of a husband, and he says, I love the church as a model to you husbands. Love like I have loved. And I ask the question, has uh, Jesus ever gotten tired of you and said, ah, I need another one. I need another church. You've been unfaithful to me. I need another church. You complain too much. You do complain too much, by the way. I complain too much. And if Jesus would treat me like a man like that, he would throw me aside and say, I'm going to get, get another one. You didn't do so well. And the picture here is this, that for an elder to be identified, someone to be identified as godly, it will show in their marriage relationship. It will have evidence within their marriage relationship. It's not something that someone can be godly apart from this important and really most important relationship of their marriage. 
The man is not to be playing house with many. He is not to be known for playing the field or being flirtatious in his life. He should be known. His reputation should be, and in actuality be, a one-woman man. I think of Rebecca's grandfather. Uh, one of the first conversations I had with him, he has passed away, and he's in his 80s, and he was speaking of his wife and their relationship, and they'd been married, I think, 63 years at this time, and he was telling me about when they, uh, when he found her and when they got married, and he said, he said to me, she was as Eve to me, the only woman in the world. And I thought, that was sweet. That's the picture of fidelity. That's the picture of a godly man, that she's the only woman in the world for him. And see, men and ladies as well, when you look at someone's marriage, it will show that they are godly. Marriage is not easy. And I'll tell you why. It's real simple. It's a math problem. Okay? It's a simple math problem. Some of you are freaking out already. You should know who's talking, okay? Geometry was the last step in high school. You figure it out. You know, uh, um, anyways, you, uh, you got one sinner. One sinner. You got another sinner. And you put them together. One plus one is two sinners living in one house. You know, if we had separate homes, it would be a lot easier, right? I could do what I want to do, and she could, if we had separate schedules and separate time, and we just kind of high five somewhere along the way, right? It would be a lot easier. If we didn't have to get on the same page, this would be simple. But one plus one equals two sinners, okay? There's a title in there too, maybe even a book, you know. One plus one equals two sinners. Now there's there's a catchy title that everyone would buy, right? Learning about two sinners. Um, it's like, no, I don't like that. Men, uh, I think sometimes it's easy for us to distinguish our relationship with the Lord and say, man, I'm, I'm doing so well with him. Everything's going great. And everything's not going great with our wife. That we haven't selflessly loved her. That we haven't given to her. We haven't uh, served her. We haven't shepherded her. He says, uh, if you want to find out who the elders are, look at their marriage relationship. See, a one-woman man. Verse 6 goes on. It says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife... And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Boy, that's a tough one. As you look at uh, that word believers, it can also be translated faithful. And in different translations, it uh, goes back and forth. In fact, there's a footnote in my Bible that translates it from the English standard as believers. And then down at the bottom, it says could be faithful as well. Um, I, I, I want us to... I want us to set aside what we want it to say, to let God speak. I think that's the most important thing, as we talked about before. And really see it in the context of what it is saying. The question comes up, if it is believing, uh, can someone be an elder who does not have children that believe? 
And what does that mean? How does this all work out? First of all, I want to tell you this, that uh, the, the idea of having children shows possession. Uh, so I think this picture is of at home, at home. Uh, it's the idea that it, within the home of the, the people that are living with you, does whatever this word means, believing or faithful, that because of that being a home of someone who's identified as godly, it will show in the home. It will show in the home. And it will show in that child being either believing or faithful. I think the two further words identify what we're talking about here. The two, um, that they're not open, as you look down in verse 6, um, they're either believing or faithful, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. This word uh, debauchery is the idea of wild and sinful, indulgent living. It's the one, it's the one who marks his life by doing whatever he wants to do, filling his cup of fleshliness saying, this is what I desire to do. I'm just going to go out and do it. He's not open to the charge of living that kind of life of debauchery. I love the word debauchery. Doesn't that sound bad? It's the idea of all kinds of sin coming out. It's, it's that, that, that living that is not just loose living, but it is the living that is driven by sin. The second word, insubordination, is the idea of disrespectful or rebellious to authority. And, you know, really, that comes up all the way around, doesn't it? Uh, Where can you be rebellious? Pretty much everywhere, you know. Rebellious to parents, rebellious to teachers, rebellious to authorities out in the community, rebellious to adults in general. This is the picture of the one that, the, the children in the house of a man who it does not show him to be the one identified to be an elder. Now, all kinds of questions come up. All, all kinds of questions come up in this. And let's think about them because I think it's important uh, to, to understand this principle as we go on and even identify elders at Bear Valley Church. Tell me about uh, selfish living and rebellious uh, living to authorities and kids. When, when do they get that? When do kids get that uh, self, selfish, I want my way? When, did, when, did that, when does that come about? Is that like a puberty thing or is that like a two conception? You, know? you, you know what I figured out? It's, it's the umbilical cord thing, right? That's how it comes through, you know? It's connected to the mom. We thought it was the dad's. No, <laughs> getting in trouble here. That was just my own opinion that had nothing to do with anything uh, holy and just. Okay, um, you think about that. Uh, kids come out. Kids come out selfish and rebellious. Uh, it's interesting to me that the, the funny thing about kids—they come out cute too, right? They're beautiful. They're just these beautiful babies. And, and you know why they're beautiful and cute? Is because they cannot communicate what's in their heart. Okay? 
And as their communication, it's cute right away. You know, oh, you know, they're doing all the cooing and stuff. That's all cute. And then they start getting their 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 first words, and it's always dad because he's the best. Dad, dad. Um, actually, it's simpler. It, in many ways, that's true of dad too. He's simpler than mom. Uh, so, uh, that, and then they start putting words together, and nose in there pretty quick, right? No, uh, and. They did get that from mom because mom and dad say no and then kid says no to them about what they're saying and it just gets... And as they grow in their communication, they're just not as cute anymore, right? And even initially when they say something funny in rebellion, we go, oh, isn't that cute? And then it's not cute to the parents anymore. It's cute at Christmas time when aunts and uncles and grandpa, oh, isn't that cute? You know, they, they told you, no, you know, no, it's not cute. And then it goes on. And as they grow in their communication, the rebellion of their heart, the rebellion of their heart and their selfishness comes out eloquently. So what is this picture here? What is this picture? He's not open to the charge of, uh, debauchery or insubordination. The point here is this, is this, is if a child is left to his own, if a child is left to his own and his parents and specifically his father is unwilling to challenge that and to shepherd that and to remove that from them in the home, he's not fit to be an elder. <laughs> He hasn't distinguished himself because this is what happens. This is what, and it, it's real. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about this because this, it's so important. There's a sense in which it's not that complicated to be a parent. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Um, I'm supposed to love the Lord. I'm supposed to have a relationship with the Lord. Okay, and the one I love most is the Lord. It's my relationship with him that should drive everything about me, including my parenting. And so as, as I am in my home, when I see or fa- any fathers, any mothers, when they see something in their home that is shaking an angry fist at their God, they're going, oh, we've got to take a time out here and back up and roll that bus back because that can't happen here. And it's not because it can't happen because it's offended dad. It can't happen here because dad loves God more than anything. And the idea that we would have a home where people can shake an angry fist at God over and over again, that just can't happen. And so what's happened is my relationship or a parent's relationship with Christ flows out in his children. It has to. And that's what happens, what happens that you can see when someone loves the Lord. You can see that in their children. The question is, uh, does the child, do the children validate the gospel is present in your home? Is present in your home. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, so how do you do that? 
How you do that? That's um, you know the million dollar question right there. You know, it's easy to know what to do, but h- how do you go about doing that? Um, if someone were to ask me, how do you raise children that believe, that are faithful, that love the Lord? Um, first of all, I'd say I- I'm not done yet. So uh, you know, some of you you know struggle with that and the, the idea of. Once you know what to do, you're done, right? And that's really the reality of life, that we hold the Savior's hand through all these things. We don't know how to do this. There's not some sense of like, you know, we're not writing the book on parenting. But how do you, how do you, it calls us to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to tell you, uh, fathers, uh, I want to give you the simple answer to that. And really, it's all we're talking about in these two Bible studies on Monday morning and Wednesday night. It's this. You cannot teach, you cannot teach what you do not know. You cannot teach what you do not know. If you love the Lord, if your life is marked by the discipline and instruction of the Lord, if your relationship with Him is such where He is your father, and you are his child, you are clinging to his hand, you are learning, you are growing in him, guess what? It's going to be like falling off a log to impart that to your kids. Because it's not, you know, and I'll be honest with you, um, there's a lot of things that I desire for my sons and daughter. There's a lot of things that I desire for them. Things that... uh, things that I know will be good for them in their life. And sometimes I try to teach that to them. And then I go look in the mirror and I go, ah, but you're not that. And they're going, I got the info, dad. They don't tell me this, but I got the info, dad, but show it to me. Show it to me. If it's so important, if it's so important to you, dad, show it to me. If this is one of those key things of life, show it to me. This morning, uh, as we look at this passage, um, it's important for us to realize that this is that this is connected. Our godliness, our relationship with Him, is connected to what we see in our kids. Scary, isn't it? Um, well, let's let, let me let me read this to you because I think it's important for us to. Um, hear this, and I, I think it'll make a lot of sense. The Puritans, I read this in a book, and I think it's important for us to think through. The Puritans um, referred to the family household as the little church. The little church. Managing a local church is more like managing a family than managing a business or state. A man may be successful, a successful businessman, a capable public official, a brilliant office manager, or a top military leader, but be terrible, but be a terrible church elder and father. You get that? We talked last week about who, who should get to choose the elders of the church. God should, right? Who, who knows best? We look at uh, a group of people and we say, oh, now there's an elder, you know. We, we, we see them, you know, they... they are they're fiery, um, they're bald, you know, and they got a lot of passion, you know. They uh, 
They, they, they've been successful out in business, so that shows that they can be successful in the church. They've accomplished much. Uh, they've, they've got their ducks in a row in our eyes. And yet, Titus, he's instructed. This is interesting. If you take out above reproach as being the umbrella, what's the first area of business? The family, right? He says, if you want to see them, go, go look at their family. Go look at their relationship with their wife. But look at that relationship. How is that? Does that show him to be a godly man? Hey, look at their kids. Look at their kids. You know, I'll, I'll define that now. I don't think it is believing. I think it's faithful. Um, the idea of being faithful is that he is, his relationship is being, uh, that, that's what's defining their family. And that the, the kids are not running around crazy because he won't let it happen. He won't let it happen. He, he won't let uh, the idea that they would be in rebellion or that they would be seeking selfishness above. He won't let it happen at their home. There, there's a sense of because I love God, it impacts my home. So there's a couple of uh, nagging questions that kind of come up in all this, and uh, I'll handle them now. What if a person is married, is not married, and doesn't have kids? Let's talk about that. And and some of you are saying, well, that's silly. You know, why would you even think about that? Well, the reason I bring it up is because the first conversations that I've ever had about being an elder included this, and what the the following went like this. If an elder, uh, if someone is called to be an elder, they're called to shepherd or to lead the church. And so in leading and shepherding the church, uh, how can one who is not married talk and counsel about marriage? How can they do that? In fact, what do men know? Period. No, uh, what, uh, question mark there. No, what, what, what do men know? about women apart from being married. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, the first argument. I want to tell you this, though. I don't believe that to be true. I think what it is, is that if a man is married, it will show in his marriage. If God has not provided a wife for him, it will also show in his other relationships and the way he does those things. I think the same is for children. Some of you, for many years, or at least in the last few years, have talked to our youth pastor and said said to him, you know, he's talked to you about your kids, and you said, hey, why don't you mind your own business? You don't know anything. How many kids do you have? When was the last time you had a teenager? Uh, some of you have, maybe you haven't said that, but you've thought that. And you know what? Uh, those presently, they've done that to the youth pastor here for a long time, Brandon. I just want to tell you that. And uh uh, there's a sense in which that's true, isn't it? I, I'm, this is my first time ever have, having kids, you know? And uh, it's a whole different ball game. But the Word of God is true, right? It's not something that you need to know every answer, but you need to know what it says, what God has said. This is what I want to do. Is I want to talk to elders and wannabe elders today. <laughs> And it's good if you want to be an elder. I just want to tell you that. that that's, uh, James, the book of James tells us it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, does your family, your, your wife relationship, the relationship with your wife 
and your other family relationships show you to be godly. In the little Bear Valley church that you have at your home, does that reflect someone who's ready to be an elder? Because you know what? It'll show. It'll show. And for everyone, I, I want you to ask this, these questions. Does your resume of godliness include your husband or your wife relationship and your kids? Does your resume of godliness include your marriage and your parenting relationships? The reason I say it like that is this, and especially for pastors, especially for pastors, and maybe because of the way we've done things and the way we've modeled this poorly before church for the last few generations, maybe it's been longer, I don't know. But people have said, well, boy, an amazing preacher, amazing preacher. You know, they, they preach to, in different venues to thousands of people. They're just amazing. People flock to come to know the gospel and that fills their resume. They're so good at doing this. And then separate that from his wife, relationship with his wife and his kids. I want to tell you, if someone doesn't have a relationship with their wife and their kids that reflects them to be godly, they're not a good preacher. They're not a good preacher. They're not, it, it, it doesn't, there is not a wall between those things. This is, this is true, and, and it points to us as we are easily deceived, easily deceived, and impressed with people. The Scripture brings us back to this important, important distinction of our relationship, our little church of being, our relationship with our wife, our relationship with our kids. Three concluding thoughts, and we'll be done. First thing is this. Is this perfection, percentage, or pass or fail? If it's perfection, we're all toast, let's go home. Okay? We're all toast. Uh, even as I uh, go over this with you and I think about my own marriage and my own parenting, uh, we are not perfect. We are not perfect. So what is this? I, I want to back away and just say this is for godly leaders in the church. This is what we're looking for. God does provide for his church. And so we look around and we say, who do we have? These are our men to shepherd our church. Second thing um, I want to tell you and just remind you of is that our family shows everything. Our family shows everything. Don't be so impressed with the spotlights and don't be uh, looking to be impressive in the spotlights. But know this, that what God is doing in here, the gospel of his son, will impact the little people in your life and the, the person that God has given you for, for a lifetime. And then lastly, I want to tell you this. Is, is everyone still listening? I know I've talked a long time. Some of you are sleeping. Wake up. Now's the time. Everyone's listening. Okay. Re ready? This is the most important one today. I've said it before, different messages. It's one of my favorite points to bring up in the end. Grace, grace, grace. Grace, grace, grace. We have just looked at an uncomfortable dipstick into your spiritual life. It's as if God has put 
that down into us and he's pulled out what's going on inside and we've looked at it and some of us have gone, ew, it's not looking so good. I know that's uncomfortable. I know that me bringing up these topics brings a sense of guilt and regret in our lives. And failure in the sense that I just don't cut it. I, I, you've just shown me again that now in his church I just don't cut it. And I want you to think right now, men and women who seek to be godly, I, I, want, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to share with you. It's grace, grace, grace. If this morning uh, you consider your marriage and you say, God has, this is just, my marriage is good. And I think of my kids, they're just a huge blessing and they do reflect what's going on. I want to tell you this, thank God. That's true today, thank God, because you're not the one who did it. It's His grace. It's His grace. He has blessed you apart from your own sinfulness. If this morning you have looked at your life and you say, my marriage, I haven't cut it in my marriage. I haven't cut it as a parent. I want to tell you, grace, grace, grace. That's why Jesus died. He didn't die because you were awesome. He died to make you so. He died to change you. He died so that he would forgive you for the sins that you have committed. There's grace enough for all of us. And uh, no one becomes an elder. No one becomes godly apart from God's grace in his life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. I ask that you would cause us to reflect and help sort out in our own lives what this uh, word means, these, these things that we have gone over. God, I do ask for the application of your grace in the lives of all of us, especially for those who are uh, dealing with regret and guilt and uh, fe- the feeling of not cutting it. God, I pray that you administer to them and help them put the past in the past and that you would develop in them a love for you and that would flow over to their marriage relationship as well as in their kids. God, thank you for this morning. We praise you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. You are dismissed.